0: Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Longview is generously sponsored by Gamesurplus.com. www.gamesurplus.com is your source for all board game needs. Thor and his family will be happy to find anything for you, whether it's a hard-to-find import or the latest, greatest hotness. So go to Gamesurplus.com. The Longview is also hosted generously by 2d6.org. 2d6.org is a fantastic website. Uh, and a great resource for board game reviews, commentary, video walkthroughs, and special interviews. My name is Jeff Gamble, I'm the host of The Long View, and tonight I am very pleased to be joined by two special guests who are coming back for a second time, and that is Joe Huber and Eric Brocious. Um, Tonight we're going to be taking a look at the game Race for the Galaxy. This game has been around for quite some time. As a matter of fact, the brand new story arc for Race for the Galaxy is set to be released very, very soon. So, in light of that... I thought it might be a fun idea to take a look back at the original Race for the Galaxy and talk with Eric and Joe, who have a huge amount of experience with this game, and try to see what it is that makes this game so popular. So without any further ado, I'm going to introduce my special guests, Eric and Joe. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being on the show this
1: evening. Glad to be here. Thank you, Jeff.
0: So, guys, um, I've played Raise for the Galaxy. I've played it for, you know, definitely I I had it in my collection for a few years. I I must admit I no longer have it. I have a little bit of remorse over that, and and we'll cover that later. But I probably played it a total of 50, 60 times, something uh, something along those lines. A lot of my plays were two-player. I think that people should know that. It was primarily my wife and I playing Uh, I did uh, also play uh, quite a few times, I'd probably say about 8 to 10 times in four-player games when we would get together with another couple. However, uh, you know, I'm I'm not exactly sure whether two-player is where this game shines. Um, I I did like it enough that I went and got every expansion that came out for it. But quickly, I'd say over time, uh, my interest sort of seemed to to wane a little bit. And I want to kind of circle back to that later. But enough about me. I want to hear from you guys what was it that attracted you to the game and why is this a game that you both have played such an incredible amount of time do you think
2: so um, I actually was fortunate enough um, to play in what I believe was the very first playtest of race for the galaxy uh, back in 2004 um, and a playtest of the predecessor game so um, presumably folks are aware of some of the history of Race for the Galaxy, uh, was born out of, um, uh, actually born out of the development process from San Juan. Um, when uh, Stefan Brooke at Alleya uh, Games was looking for a uh, card game version of Puerto Rico, um, he uh, involved uh, Tom Lehman, um, as well as uh, Richard Borg, actually, with um, coming up with ideas, and, and in fact, they'd uh, they each developed their own um, say their own San Juan game, and um, as a result, Tom had um, put a put a lot of work into developing this idea, but it wasn't his game was not going to be published, and so he set it aside for for a while and then came back to it, um, combined it with uh, some of the um, universe that he created for a uh, game that was going to be released by Prism Games, um, uh, Duel for the Stars or something like that, and um, put it together and, and, and came up with the prototype of, of Race for the Galaxy. Um, at the time that, uh, that he was doing this, I was fortunate enough to be uh, traveling um, on business to California uh, fairly frequently and uh, got to playtest the game a, about 30 times, I think, in total before, uh, before it was published in 2007. Um, and one of the things that, that really attracted me from the start was the, the fact that there were so many different things to do in the game. Uh, I am always attracted by a large number of choices in a game, and race gives you that. Um, you have a hand of cards. Some of them are going to become um, money to, to buy cards, uh, build settlements, buy developments. Um, others are going to are going to be part of uh, the world that you build. And there are, with any given hand, typically a, a significant number of ways of taking that uh, that starting hand, um, each of which then has effects on your future development, your future settlements uh, as you go along. And that variability, um, the fact that the game doesn't play, I mean, as so in 2008, I played Race uh, over a thousand times, and... Did not get tired of it playing it a thousand times um, it, it really comes down to that variability
0: so the variability is built by the the, the kind of large array of cards that came with this game um, there there are quite a few, and the cards. Uh, the cards were relatively unique, weren't they? I, I don't know that they were all unique, but, um, you know, there, there were some duplicates in there, but many of the cards were uh, totally different and, and quite unique, so that, that added a lot to that variability, yes?
1: Yes. All of the worlds are unique, although some of them differ only in the names, Uh, The developments, uh, there are often two or three developments that are the same, um, depending on whether you're looking at the base set or uh, the base set, including the expansions. Right. Nevertheless, when you're looking at a deck that includes over 100 cards, possibly close to 200 cards if you're playing with the expansions, uh, the fact that there are a few pairs that are the same isn't a very significant duplication. I started with the game in 2005, a little bit after Joe did. I think the first week that I tried the prototype, I played it 10 times. Um, I specifically remember early in that process, sitting down at midnight and playing the game with a group of people and then playing it again and again, Um, being up till two in the morning playing the game. I'm never up to two in the morning playing any game, Jeff. I usually go to bed, but it was riveting. The other thing that I remember is for a game that had so much randomness in it, uh, the same people seemed to win the game over and over again. And that's what I like in a game. I like a game with a lot of options, as Joe has said. I even like a game with quite a bit of randomness. Um, And I'm particularly intrigued when a game like that can produce uh, skillful players who can win far more than their share despite the randomness that's kind of a puzzle how that can happen but it clearly does in this game
0: Yeah, absolutely it's it's clearly a puzzle to me as well because uh, i i am terrible at the game uh, my wife was much better at it than, than than i am which may be one of the reasons it's not in my collection anymore although you know i'm not a bad sport um you know, and that is one of the things that's always to me about the game and truly puzzled me, is the fact that in many ways the game is is extremely random. Um, you, you're, you're kind of, you know, you do have that starting hand uh, that Joe was talking about. And, you know, or, or very early in the game, you may get one of those uh, six-cost developments, which are kind of crucial in that they they often will sort of give you a direction or a strategy or, or something that you want to build towards. Uh, the six-cost developments are all generally used. Unique. Um, they they reward um, building cards in your tableau um, that 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 will synergize with them. Uh, the The problem that that I always had was I always kind of felt like I was uh, spent a lot of time fishing for cards than that would. Complement those six cost developments I either had in my hand or on the table in front of me, and yet i couldn 't really uh, claim that the game was just random uh, go fish because consistently the same people would win, so I agree one hundred percent with what you 're saying that that 's my experience as well, but I have absolutely no idea why that is, so my hope is maybe we can try to discern tonight. Why it is that a game that is this random? I mean, you were talking about the card count, and I was pulling it up here on the geek, and uh, there are one hundred and nine just in the base game, one hundred and nine different cards, fifty nine of which are world 's fifty development cards. so there 's a, a huge amount of variety in that deck, but the variety cuts both ways. you know it 's very hard to predict with any certainty that you 're going to get cards that you want. So how is it? that the players can exert enough control over the game that consistently a better player will beat, for the most part, a more inexperienced player. What do you guys think of that?
1: There are a number of aspects to Race for the Galaxy, but probably the fundamental one to me is finding the strategy for you in the particular game you're playing, given the cards that you see. We talked a little bit earlier about San Juan, I would say San Juan has two or three possible strategies, and as you play San Juan, your job is to decide which of those you're going to seek out in a given game. Uh, Race for the Galaxy has many strategies. I think the base game has over a dozen different strategies that you could play. As you add more expansions, the number of potential strategies goes up, although the difficulty of finding them increases as well. So that's a trade-off. When you say you're fishing, that implies that you've selected a strategy and you're looking for the cards that are going to allow that strategy to succeed. To me, in many games of Race for the Galaxy, when I look at my initial hand or the cards I get at the beginning, I'm not yet sure which strategy I'm going to pursue. And ideally, I play in such a way as to keep my options open so that more than one strategy is possible for me, depending on the cards I draw. So if I'm playing you, Jeff, and you've chosen one strategy right at the beginning to pursue, and I've determined that there are five different strategies that might work for me, my chance of finding the cards I need is a lot greater than your chance of finding the cards you need. Making that judgment, deciding which strategies are viable and how to keep your options open, that's part of the fun, I think. So,
0: do you disagree then that the six cost developments are the engine that drives your strategy? Because that—that's kind of. You know, and again, I, I admittedly I am not a good player. It's one of the reasons I want to talk to two fantastic players is because, you know, my thing was always, okay, when I I got a, a six-cost development in my hand and if I, you know, looked at something I had already built in my tableau and it was something that I thought would work with it or if I had other cards in my hand that I thought would work well with it, then I'm going to run, I'm going to ride that horse. Um, but, but you're seeming to imply that, you know, you can keep your options open longer because to me, the game always kind of ended, um, right before I was able to kind of finally get something solid. Um, you know, so the timing of it, I, I struggled with as well. So are the six cost developments not as important as I'm making them out to be?
2: So you can certainly, there are, there are a number so Eric mentioned there there are a number of strategies. Um, some of those do involve focusing on a six cost development as the primary piece of a strategy. Even within the different strategies, um, that's simply a primary means. A strategy that has only a primary means will often lose out to one that's that's got other. Other things going on. So for instance, if you have a, a really useful six to, six uh, cost development that fits in with your tableau, that's great. If that's all that you have and all you're doing is searching for cards that fit with that six-cost development, you're probably wasting your time and the other players are going to be are, are going to be able to do something um, more effective. If at the same time you're set up to be able to uh, develop things effectively. You're set up to be able to uh, settle additional worlds. You're set up to to be able to take advantage of con- consumption that's going on. Doesn't matter what what other thing you have going on, but you you need to be able to. Um, I mean, if if there's a key to the game across all strategies, it is taking advantage of what other people choose to do on their turn. Um, if your opponents are, if your opponents are in a produce-consume cycle, you don't have to be on a you don't have to be focused on produce-consume. In fact, you probably don't want to be. But if you get nothing out of that produce-consume cycle, you're going to fall behind in the process. If you can get something out of it, you know, if they're getting six victory points because they're choosing produce-consume two x, and you're getting. Two or three victory points. One, the victory point pool is going to disappear faster, such that you, such that they can't run that site that system as long as they want to. And secondly, you can be off doing your other things that if they can't take advantage of as well as you're taking
1: advantage of their cycle, you're going to win. That's called leeching. Mm-hmm. When when you've identified what your opponents strategy seems to be, and you build something that will give you some advantage as they perform that. Jeff, I sometimes think of Race for the Galaxy as a game in which uh, the player is dropped down in a wilderness and is trying to find his or her way back to civilization. And there are many paths that might take you back to civilization, by which I mean a strategy that works. If, If you've got to pick one path, your chances of finding it are less. If you have multiple options, you might in fact at the very beginning of the game be blundering around a little bit, but sooner or later you identify a track or you find a creek that you can follow. You gotta be uh, have your eyes open and be willing to try whatever it is that you run across. So, if you look at the game, you will find that uh, Tom has designed some starting hands uh, that have little tiny numbers in the corners. And those are designed for new players. If you start with one of those sets of starting hands, effectively what's happened is um, Tom has, instead of putting you completely in the wilderness, put you in a place where there are a few tracks available. Now those starting hands could give you a single road to success, but that wouldn't be much fun. Instead what Tom has done is he's designed four starting hands uh, each of which has several paths to success so that you still have the enjoyment of trying your options. But uh, instead of being in a completely trackless wilderness, you've got some tracks that you may choose to follow. So it gives you a
0: compass. Um, yes. So I guess, I guess what I, what I want to say is then it sounds to me as though what you guys are suggesting is that there needs to be patience in the early game. Rather than worrying too much about trying to find your path immediately, would you say that that, that I'm figured that i 'm summarizing that correctly?
1: Uh, usually often there needs to be patience. sometimes you drop down right on a super highway. right so if you were to play me or Joe Jeff, and you say you're not an experienced player right it's possible that you would be dealt exactly the cards you need uh, to carry off that strategy that you fastened on early and you know, if the cards just come to you for that strategy, play them for all they're worth. And that's why um, even when you have quite a significant skill difference among players, the weaker player will win some of the games. Because sometimes the cards will come up exactly for the strategy that player is playing. Right. So the challenge is not um, is not always to wait, but sometimes you need to wait. Okay.
0: That's
1: part of the ch- Decision process is when do I wait and when do I start pushing? All right. Are you playing a fast game or are you playing it?
2: And if you're playing a fast game, are you playing it on victory points or on tableau? Or are you playing a slow game, in which case, um, you know, don't do things that, that that aren't helping your opponents as you go along so that at least they they are not getting they are not getting as much by leeching off of you as you might get leeching off of them.
0: Right, yeah, that pacing is something that's always been kind of problematic for me as well because, uh, you know, I, I believe it's what, 12 cards, right? After the 12th card is built, am I correct in that?
1: Yes. Cards, right, yes.
0: And, and so, you know, a lot of the games that I have played, um, the the end of the game has come via the 12th kind of card being built in a tableau, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of left often with all of these great things that I was about to do in the next few turns that I now can't do because the game was, you know, ended. Now, sometimes that was just by design. I mean, my wife, you know, would tell me, well, I saw what you were gearing up for and I knew I had the advantage. So it was to my advantage to play a couple of, you know, cheap cards, uh, you know, developments and and do some settlement and quickly end the game before you could get that going. So part of that can be attributed to just good play by your opponent, I think. But um, I, I kind of always kind of felt that pressure of, you know, boy, you only get 12 cards, you only get 12 cards, and so therefore maybe that's why I was always uh, jumping out of the gate and immediately, you know, trying to find that one single path that you're talking about. So I guess that's why I was, you know, listening to what you said and thinking, well, maybe, you know, uh, me as a player, this isn't just, you know, a diagnose why Jeff is horrible at Race for the Galaxy, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. So this idea of maybe keeping your options open for a little while longer um, might be... uh, you know, a, a better idea than trying to force an issue. I guess that's you know, after listening to you guys, it's a, it feels to me as though maybe I tried to force it too much with Race for the Galaxy. I spent a lot of time exploring, um, you know, digging for those cards like we talked about, which may be part of the reason why uh, I, I grew a little bit frustrated with the with the game at times. Now, you also brought up another interesting point. Both of you guys talked about this idea of leeching and the the notion that. Uh, As in many games that utilize role selection, um, you want to try and maximize your benefit on someone else's turn. And that's where sometimes a little bit of mind games can go on at the table as well. Um, How important would you say that is overall in the game? In other words, is it more important to do the leeching you're talking about? Or is it more important for you to fully focus and develop what you're doing or is it really just depend on the situation again?
2: So you always want to be you always want to be ready for whatever someone else happens to call. You can't always be ready for what someone else happens to call. Right. And and, and it can be I mean one of the easy ways to lose race is oh this might happen, this might happen, therefore explore to two more cards. Even though that doesn't fit with what I'm trying to do, um, and so you definitely have to—you have to be playing what you're trying to do. Um, if you fail to do that, you—if you don't have—if you don't have your advantage, that's—it's an easy way to lose the game. Right. Um, yeah. However, at the same time, you want to be thinking about what might my opponent do. And if my opponent does that, what am
1: I going to what am I going to do about it? Yeah, I would say the heart of the game for me is finding a strategy in my cards and pursuing it. But um, in addition to that, there are these helping things that I need to do, such as how to select my roles appropriately and how to be ready for the roles my opponent selects. One of the things that I particularly enjoy is when I can. Uh, play a a role which depending on what my opponent does will give me different options if you play chess it's always nice to put your knight in a place where um, it can go in different directions forking for example your opponent's two rooks and sometimes i almost feel as though i'm playing a forking move in race for the galaxy where if my opponent plays develop i'll do this but if my opponent plays settle i will do this other thing and either way i've got a Successful plan, even though that plan will differ depending on what my opponent or my opponents do. I'll also say that um, I don't have a particular view that two-player race or more than two-player race is greatly superior to the other. I enjoy it in both formats.
2: I I agree. It's it, I think it's a very I think it's a very good two-player game. I think it's a very good multiplayer game. Um, I have played. I have probably played a little bit more two-player than multiplayer um, just because... So in 2008, when I played it so many times, uh, I played with a friend at work. And what we would do is we'd get together after work before we head home, and we would play six games of race, um, taking a total of less than an hour. Um, And in fact... um, I actually uh, we we kept track. We we instead of um, dealing the start worlds at random, we actually just went through all of the possible start world combinations in sequence, one after another, and then then uh, many times through. Um, I posted back that year on uh, on Board Game Geek, and, and boast is still there. Uh, the results of the I can't. I, th- I know we got to 200. I can't remember if we got to 200 or 400. But wow. uh, uh, two-player games, going through all possibilities to see um, how various worlds did against each other, um, and where there were um, where one of us or the other of us had a an advantage. So there were some worlds that I played better than my friend. Some worlds that my friend played better uh, than I did, um, and. It was amazingly close on the whole, um, so very enjoyable too. And and since then, I've mostly, I've more often played multiplayer, and very enjoyable with uh, uh, with three or four or five.
0: Would you agree with that, Eric? That uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference for you as far as the game experience, as far as your enjoyment of it goes, whether it's with two player or
1: multiplayer. Yeah, I'm happy to play it either way. I think that um, if you're just learning the game, it might even be easier to play two-player where you only select one role. Uh, That's sort of the simplest version. Typically, when experienced players play, they pick two roles in the two-player game. That's a different game. But I will play it um, any of those three ways happily. Joe's played it more than I have. I've only played the game about 500 times. um, Oh, only. components. Um, I've played a lot with the uh, AI developed by a guy named Kelvin Jones. Yes, that AI uh, is
0: incredibly punishing. That AI has kicked my backside more than I care to admit.
1: So um, it's a tough AI. I can win more than my share against that AI, but not by a huge margin. And I I think it's a, a, a challenging thing to try to even play a series of games and come out level with it. But I've played, I'm sure, hundreds and hundreds of games with the AI, um, but I don't count those. I've probably played about 500 games with real people. Face-to-face. I think I played 50 to 60 games last year, and I would have been happy to play 100 games, except I don't know people that like it as much as I do that I get to play with regularly.
0: Now let, let's talk about that if you don't mind this idea of you know playing it with new people and and trying to find people who want to play it because I, I really wanted to kind of dive into this a little bit because this is one of the problems that I had with the game which was number one I, I really don't feel that the rule book was all that well written um, I really struggled with that rule book when I first was trying to learn the game but once I had wrapped my mind around the game and understood the iconography, which we'll circle back to in a minute. Um, I then, of course, you know, uh, played it with my wife quite a bit, and then, you know, we we tried to introduce it to a lot of people. And I can honestly say that that game has been more difficult for me to try to teach and get new people playing than most games I've ever tried to teach. I mean, I have uh, taught I don't know how many Martin Wallace games. I have an easier time teaching Glory to Rome, Um, you know, which has even more ways in which the cards can be used than I had teaching race. And, And I think it has to do with this one of the strengths of the game, which is the individuality of the cards. But also, the just amazing amount of iconography uh, in the game itself, and I was curious whether you gentlemen had found that that was difficult as well as far as it, is it a barrier to getting new people into playing the game? number one, number two, if you feel that uh, you know maybe it 's not that big of a deal, and uh, you know perhaps um, you know people make too much of the iconography in the game. Uh, You know, the only thing I can say in my defense is generally I am the guy who teaches the games. Uh, I am a teacher. I have some idea of how to present information and, and how to uh, make myself reasonably clear, even though on this podcast sometimes I do a lot of the ums and the ahs. Uh, and so I, I think I have some idea of how to teach games, but boy, that one has been difficult to try to teach new players. What has been your guys' experience with trying to teach new players, and what do you think of the iconography As far as, is it a barrier to entry? Is it something that makes it difficult or not? What do you think?
2: So um, I have taught many people. I taught a whole bunch of folks that I work with. um, I mean, to have played it so many times in 2008, a lot of that was teaching lots of people at work and and playing uh, playing a lot with them. In fact, uh, uh, I have a a business trip coming up. One of my coworkers, uh, who I play bridge with, uh, was talking to me he's going to be on the uh going to be taking a trip at the same time same place and uh we realized we weren't going to have enough bridge players and so he suggested that i bring grace along um i've never really had a difficulty teaching it i will say that i don't i don't teach it from the rule book i haven't i haven't looked i was just looking at the rule book now as as you mentioned it and and I think the rulebook's uh, perfect. It's got Eric's name in it and it's got my name in it. But, um, but uh, seriously, it's I I I knew the game very well before it was published. I've never used the rulebook enough to say if there are weaknesses relative to how it presents it. Right. Right. Uh, the iconography I can actually so. Um, as I mentioned, I, I, I first I, I was fortunate enough to get a chance to play test the game in 2004. As a result, I got to play test it when it was pre-iconography,
1: mm-hmm. when
2: all of the um, all of the things that were on the cards were written down as text. And as a practical matter, it took me a little while when uh, they switched to a iconography to get used to it. But it's the only way that you can play it once you have played some reasonable number of of times. Um, it is a little bit more challenging to get someone to start playing, but it's the only way that you can see what's going on at the table once you get past you know far enough far enough in the learning curve as to be looking beyond your own tableau.
1: Right. I would say Jeff that no, I no, taught calculus to college students for mm-hmm. eight years. Right. If there's one thing that that taught me, it's that people learn differently. Right. And um, so I have found I've probably taught the game to 50 people. Okay. Uh, you know I found that some people learn it more easily than others. I've also found that you can't predict that. Sometimes people that you would think are very technical, they've got jobs that involve computer programming, and you think. Surely this would be a game they could pick up. They struggle with it. Other people seem to be non-technical and pick it up right away. So I'm not sure what it is. I agree that it's easier for some people than it is for others. Um, I remember a brief uh, period. I started with iconography, unlike Joe. I remember a brief period of trying to learn the icons. But from the very beginning, I really wanted to learn this game. And maybe that's why it didn't seem that hard to me. Because I, I was really eager to learn it. Yeah.
2: No, I actually I one of one of the things the icon, the iconography gets a is, is given a hard time because of the difficulty of getting folks started. But it makes the game so much easier for experienced players to to see what's going on, to to play the game, to, to pick up, you know, you can pick up a new expansion and you can look at the icons and you know how it works it's it's never it, it it is a far faster
0: process
2: than it ever could be without the uh without the icons
0: Well, you know, I I think that there's something there that I agree with you uh, with, and and I hadn't really thought of it until you said that, which is, you know, I had not really imagined the cards being choked with text. Um, But I think in order to do what you need to do without the icons, there would have to be a lot of text. And then, of course, you'd have people arguing over verbiage. Um, Also, you know, one of the great features of Race for the Galaxy, at least in my opinion, is the artwork. And so by having the iconography there, it really does allow that sort of artwork on those cards to come through. And it really is some beautiful artwork. You know, the only thing I'm wondering is, you know, you talk about this advantage, Joe, with with, with the icons. Now, the only advantage that I can think of that I picked up on, um, and, and I'm curious if there's more, because, you know, you guys have so much more experience, is over time I kind of learned to scan my cards and the cards of my opponents sideways once a roll was was selected. So like if someone chooses settle, then I'm looking at the settle kind of row going across my tableau, seeing what affects your powers that they're going to have, and maybe what things am I going to be able to do, etc. So is that what you're talking about, where, where you can kind of quickly reference kind of your powers, whereas if you had to read blocks of text, you'd almost have to read every card unless you knew it, which kind of leads me back almost to the way I feel sometimes with innovation, because innovation is text-based, and so you kind of have to learn every card before you get any speed of play. Is that the advantage you're talking about, Joe, or is there more?
2: So it's it's an odd way of describing the advantage because from my point of view, the looking to see what powers people have after you found out what they're calling is probably not the right approach. Um, I'm looking around the table to see what what people have built, what the you know what powers they have before I go into thinking about what I want to play on my next turn. Right, um, but. Other than that, yes, that is you know it's that ability to look around the table and see what is going on, you know, see what what uh, cards people get when uh, when produce is called, see what what uh, abilities people have relative to uh, to development and settle. Um, at a quick glance around the table um, is is as you say, it's it's something you could not do without uh, without icons. There actually if you look on Board Game Geek, there was a post. Um, oh it 's been a few years back now. Weiwa posted some of the evolution of, of the various cards, and one of the the things that he did is he included a couple of the cards from the original text only version that that again was was only only back in two thousand and four um and uh, you can actually see from that what uh how the how the cards evolved over the course of the development of the game um and um And what, you know, what the game would have been like if you had had um, text in place of the uh, in place of the icons.
0: Is there anything now, you know, you guys have have taught the game very successfully to new players. And, uh, you know, Eric, your point about everybody learns differently is, of course, true and a point well taken. Um, I I do sometimes think, though, that, uh, you know, I wonder, um, when I was trying to learn the game from the rules, I'm going to circle back to the rules, even though that's a dangerous thing to do, um, given that you guys are working on the rules. Um, I I, I sometimes wonder if um, your core familiarity with the game through its entire development process maybe makes it a easier experience for you to try and teach new players so i'm only bringing this up again because i'd be curious what other listeners hopefully who who listen to this podcast would have to say about their experiences in trying to teach the game because um, everything that i needed was in the rules there was no doubt about it um, the the progression for me of trying to kind of, of of learn the game, I actually ended up using the reference cards uh, a whole lot more than the rule book. In other words, as I was going through the rule book, and and I was kind of blown away by all of the different kinds of possibilities and options. Now, keep in mind that race is a game that came out a while ago, and it was one of the earlier games that I had picked up, but I, I had played enough that I felt that I could tackle it, um, and I found the reference cards. Um, to be eminently helpful and useful because sometimes I struggled to find the things that I was looking for in the rule book. Do you think that there is something to that? Or again, is it just me and I learned differently and I didn't pick it up the way maybe most people do?
1: I think the rules are more of a reference than something where it's useful to read them straight through to someone to teach it. Right. I think certainly being familiar with a game makes it easier to teach it. But um, I generally start and show people the roll cards and explain that these are the things you do, and I start explaining how develop works, and then I explain how settle works and so forth, work my way through. I will say that um, one of the things that makes the game hard is that people in games are often used to um, wanting to understand everything that's in front of them before they can play. Very true. In some games, you have a limited number of cards or a limited number of components, and your job is to make the most out of every single one of them. In this game, most of the cards you have are going to be discarded to pay for other things. So when I play this game, I look for the cards that are reasonable considerations to help me with my strategy, and I ignore all the others. Obviously, it takes some getting used to, to know which ones those are. I think some beginners, particularly ones that are meticulous and diligent, um, feel obliged to look at every single card. And this is what I call a card flow game, a game in which you'll look at a lot of cards and you'll select a few that matter to you and many others that don't. Almost, I think, one of the things that makes this game easier or harder is whether you can just sort of let it go and focus on a few cards or whether you feel that you need to learn everything about every card you ever see. And if you try to do that, it's a lot to deal with at the beginning of the game. Yeah,
2: there's, there's definitely, so like most games, um, they are easier to teach from experience of having played than they are from, um, reading the rules. Um, I mean, I think, Having been involved, having been a playtester, I don't think really makes nearly as much difference as having played the game a lot of times does. Um, in that it's very familiar. I don't. I I'm never looking at the rules. Um, I do give people um, reference the reference cards um, if they're playing for the first time and explain, go through. And I've never had someone who didn't pick it up. Um, I taught my older son when he was Mm eleven, and he picked it up without a problem. Um, Still plays it now and again. uh, We we still play together now and again. Um, My, I've I've taught. I can't remember. I, I remember. I mean, there certainly are people who picked it up faster and slower, but faster was they were ready to go, you know, a quarter of the way into their first game. And slower was at the end of the first game, they they kind of had a, a reasonable
0: grasp on what to do the next time around. Um, I'd say that's accurate with my experience as well. Yeah. I mean, after the first game people, it, it's, it's one of those games. Uh, it reminds me of glory to Rome in that way where, you really don't have much of an idea sometimes of what you're doing until after that first game. And then you can kind of look back and say, ah, okay, all right, so I see that this decision I made here and here and here I probably should have done differently. Let's try that again. And that is one of the great things about race is that it it does always have that let's try it again kind of a feel uh, because the game very rarely outstays its welcome.
1: You know, there are some people that only want to play every game in their life once. This is a pretty tough game (laughs) if that's what you're going to do. Um, when I look at my plays for various games, and I record, having been recording them on Board Game Geek, usually I see a lot of ones. You know, I played it once on this day and once on this other day. When I look at my plays for a race, I have lots of twos and threes and fours and some sixes, as Joe, Joe just mentioned. Uh, because, as you say, you get started and you want to play it again and again. And, you know, that, that that playing it two times this day and six times this day, uh, really... Helps you feel comfortable with it, but you got to want to do it. I think my record for
2: a day was 20. Wow. Well, but accomplished multiple times.
0: That's quite a bit. That's uh, definitely sort of a, a uh, afternoon of Race for the Galaxy. Um, yeah, you know, and, and I think one of the things that is difficult in this day and age of, of gaming, and I'm, guil- I'm as guilty of it as anybody else, is, you know, someone uh, invariably has something new that they've brought. Um, that they, that they want to get out at the game meetup or at the game night. And sometimes it is difficult to try to, uh, you know, get people to play the same game more than once. And I, myself, you know, uh, my, some of my friends have, you know, uh, given me a bit of a hard time about that. Oh, Jeff, you'll never play a game twice in the same night. And, you know, often that's true. Um, but not for a game like race, you know, if the game is short enough, which race is, I think you can certainly have multiple goes at it and, and have a great time. You know, I'm one of those people, though, that it's like if I sit down and play Dominant Species, when that game's over, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, let's set that up and do it again. Um, you know, But Race for the Galaxy is definitely one that can have that multiple sort of play feel to it. And it is something that once you do have some people who are experienced with the game, it's very quick to set up. It's very quick to play. It's highly portable. And, that you know, again, that's another advantage of the game. So let me try and summarize a little bit for, for the, this, this last section. So for new players, your suggestion would be, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, try to learn first and foremost, as always, from someone who knows the game pretty well. Secondly, um, explain, start explaining the game by looking at the roles that you can select and what they do. Uh, Thirdly, um, make sure that people understand that you don't have to know every single card uh, you don't have to study every single card, and that sometimes it's okay to burn cards. Uh, and this is something I've struggled with. Uh, you guys didn't say this, but I'll be curious if you agree with me or not. There's Sometimes there's a tendency to hold on to cards because you have several cards that you really, really like in your hand, and you almost don't want to burn them and discard them to build this other thing. When sometimes I think you, you you need to be willing to just let it go and realize, as you did say, that the cards are the currency of the game and that you're not going to be able to put everything in front of you um, all the time. You're you're going to have to make some tough choices and decisions and just roll with it. And then I guess, uh, you know, lastly... Um, would, would be the idea of making sure people understand what you're calling leeching, which is this idea of try to make sure you're getting something if you can, if you can manage it at all on everybody's role selection, because that's only going to keep you closer in the game. Uh, Have I summarized that correctly? Because I really would like to try to help people who are trying to introduce the the game to new people because it's something that I struggled with. And so I could be the only one, but I'm hoping that this would be something that talking to uh, you two gentlemen who have such an amazing amount of experience, maybe we can help.
2: So I'm fine with most of what you said. Okay. Worrying about leeching on your first play is a huge mistake in my opinion. Worry uh, so your first 10 plays you should be focused on building your world, doing the best job that you can, building your world. Um, leeching is one of those things that you can start worrying about when you get to you know later into your um into your plays. You know, on your 20th play, yeah, you should be worrying about leeching at that point. Um, it's 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 really, I mean. As a practical matter, I, I what I see consistently um, from from folks who I watch play the game a number of times early on in in, uh, in playing it is um, folks early on catch on to one strategy. Frequently, it's a military strategy because that's one of the the clearer, more obvious strategies, right. and they focus on that and they do reasonably okay with that. And and then they play an experienced player. They they do their military strategy and they lose horribly because they watch the experienced player um, do things that you know perhaps build um, replicating robots so that they can that the the other play the experienced player can uh, has cheap non military settles and uh, and can keep up with the pace that the military player is trying to do, and so. Trying to trying to worry about leeching on the first play I, I I think is is just not the right direction. Um, just go into it if you're playing against a very experienced player. Go into it, aiming to the, do the best you can, and as with as with eighteen uh, XX, actually expecting to lose.
1: Right. I also would recommend that when you're first starting, you use the preset hands. A lot of people have this belief that you should never use anything but the advanced version of any game and uh you know as i said race for the galaxy takes you out into the wilderness and asks you to find your way back to civilization these preset hands put you on a path that may not be a super highway but they put you on a spot in the woods where there are a few paths you can take You, you know that's to make it a little bit easier to understand what you're doing use those hands for a while right and in fact the game works perfectly fine
2: Giving a preset hand to new players and um, a random hand to experienced players. That is a perfectly reasonable, legitimate direction to go.
1: It's a way of handicapping things. You, you give the experienced player potluck and the new player a preset hand.
0: That's yeah, an interesting idea. I'd, I'd, I would not have thought of that. That's a great idea, actually, for uh, you know helping people who, you know, uh, are, are, are just learning the game so all right so we're going to modify my original statement i'm not going to state it all again yes. so you've refuted the the notion that we should uh, uh worry about leeching and, and i think i understand your reasons why again i'm going to go back to a game i have much more experience with which is glory to rome and i think i, I i'm catching what you're saying here because often with glory to rome that the, the progression that i see with players is that they kind of have blinders on and and all that they can see is what is in front of them, because of the sort of myriad of sort of different options and, and crazy things that can happen in glory to Rome, but the more experienced they get, the more their field of view as I like to think of it increases, and they they begin to notice their opponents and they begin to notice what their opponents are building. And then they start to think about the higher levels where it's like, okay, now now that I kind of see what others are doing, I'm going to try to manipulate the pool of cards in the middle to deny them what they need and to maximize benefit for me. So it sounds like it's almost that kind of progression once again where you you guys are saying you need to kind of just worry about learning the game, worry about yourself, do the best you can learn the icons, learn the systems, and then gradually as you play, increase your field of vision, uh, you know, which, which for many glory to Rome players kind of happens organically over time. And, and, and I think it does with race for the galaxy as well. Yes.
1: Yes. yes. Excellent. And, um, yeah, go, go Be ahead. aware that picking one strategy, even if that strategy, as Joe says, like the military strategy seems to work for you as you're learning the game, uh, picking one strategy is not a long-term key to success. It's almost as though you can get into a blind alley by perhaps learning to play the military strategy a little bit better than your other friends who are beginners. But if you come to the conclusion that the military strategy is the one that you should always pursue, or the produce-consume strategy is the one you should always pursue, or any other strategy, all of a sudden you'll find that people that keep their eyes open to different types of strategies are starting to pass you by. I might say if you were a football team and you learned one play and could do it very well, um, you might succeed. But at some point, the other team would would start beating that play and you'd need to be able to have several plays. And that might be a little bit of a mindset shift for you to get used to the idea of having different plays.
0: Absolutely. And I and, and I think that there's probably, uh, you know, a, a lot of truth in that. So I appreciate you guys sharing your insight uh, uh, with that because, you know, it, it's a game that has intrigued me and it's a game I enjoyed, but one I ultimately found that I just was not that good at and I'm beginning to understand why. So thank you for that. Um, the other thing that, that I want to circle back to is if you remember at the start of the show, I said, you know, that I, I used to have Race for the Galaxy and the expansions in my collection and that I had gotten rid of them and that I had a little bit of remorse about that. And here's the, the, the conclusion that I came to, and I want to throw this out there and see what you guys have to say about this. I miss playing Race for the Galaxy. I do not miss the expansions. I, I almost felt like there was so much bloat to the system uh, I was never particularly thrilled with the player versus player conflict uh, solution that uh, Tom came up with uh, Tom Lehman being the designer um, i 'm not saying I could have done any better, but i wasn 't super thrilled with it. I thought it would be something a little more direct um, and and then you know you had also the whole prestige thing that was added in um, the later expansion and i I so As I thought about Race for the Galaxy and as I I thought about it more and more after I talked with you guys and we did 18xx and you talked about you'd like to do this episode, I really started kind of thinking back in my memory and thinking, you know, I really used to enjoy Race for the Galaxy and then it just kind of got away from me and I didn't enjoy it as much with all of the expansions. Do you, what would you guys say to that? In other words, you know, do you think that maybe. Are there certain expansions you feel are necessary? Do you think that race might be at its best with the base game or base plus maybe one or two expansions? And what do you think of all of the things and systems that had been added to it? Because I'm really curious what experienced players would have to say. Um, and, And the reason I'm asking that question is this is a theme that has come up over and over. I think expansions is something that we all recognize are always being released. Um, and and it, it, it's not just for monetary concerns. Sometimes I think that expansions are released to try to keep a game fresh, to try to keep a game uh, popular, uh, something to continue uh, having it in the forefront of people's minds. And yet when I look at a game like Race for the Galaxy, I'm not sure it needed anything. Um, and, and there's been a few games that I've I've talked about recently on the podcast and, and games that I've talked with my friends about that I'm like, you know, I, I don't. I think it was fine without the expansion. What do you guys think of all of this?
1: I'll give the first answer, and then Joe will come in with his probably more extreme answer. (laughs) I'm happy to play the base game. I rate the base game 10. The last expansion, I don't rate 10. I agree with you that it feels a little bit bloated. I would say that in some ways the... Addition of more expansions provides more strategies but makes them harder to find. It's harder to find the cards to support a strategy in a 200-card deck than it is in a 100-card deck. If you've played the game enough that you feel that you can play it by rote without thinking, then maybe you want some variety. I certainly never play with the military. I have the impression that people told Tom that in a space game you need to have military conflict, and maybe he added it. But whether that's true or not, I never play with the military. It just seems like way too much work. I haven't tended to play with the Prestige. I kind of like the second, the first expansion. It's only about 18 new cards. It adds some more options. I'm happy to play with the second expansion, although... In in some ways, it's just more cards that give more strategies. Uh, I'm not so happy to play with the third expansion because it seems like bloat to me. Everybody's going to have that as a matter of taste. But um, I think you could play the first game without expansions 300 times before you even start worrying about adding expansions. Now, Joe will give his opinion. So, um, first of
2: all, understand where I'm coming from. Uh, My my general belief is that expansions are evil. Um, There are very few rare exceptions to that, but um, I definitely am anti-expansion. So when I played it in 2008, that was almost exclusively with the base set. So the 1,000 plays was probably... It was probably close to a 1,000 with the base set and, and, and... a hundred or so with, with the expand, with the first expansion. Um, the first expansion. So the first expansion does three things. It has the solitaire game, which is harmless, but I'd rather play it race against the, uh, the AI. And, and so I, i while it, it had a, a purpose at the time, the idea of solitaire gaming has never really struck a chord with me. And so it wasn't worth much. It had the goals which I think don't add much to the system. And it has a few cards that are that are reasonably interesting and you aren't adding too much to the deck. One of one of the issues I have with the expansions is that you get a non-shuffleable deck. Um at least at least for me. Um, and so having to break down the deck into multiple sections and and and, and do various uh, apply various techniques to actually get a reasonably shuffled deck, um, just is a pain in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first expansion didn't detract from the game for me. Um, I like a few of the cards that it added. But just eh, take or leave. Um, the second expansion um, added the takeovers, which I never cared for. Um, so. You should understand the first and second expansion were designed hand in hand with the with the design of the game, so it's it's not it. it they were they were not planned after the success of, of the the base game, but 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 um, co-designed and and you know there's there's a reason that they uh, that they work together well, um, but the, the takeovers never appealed to me. And um, really, the second expansion, in my mind, really came down to one brilliant piece, which is the ability to choose between two different homeworlds. I think that part is great. I think the rest of the second expansion is unnecessary. Um, the third expansion, so I had, by the time the third, so third expansion was, was designed um, after the fact... And by the time Tom was working on it, I wasn't, wasn't uh, traveling to California so much on, on business. And so I, I only had uh, one chance to, um, uh, to play test the, the third expansion um, before it came out. And um, I, I told Tom at the time, I didn't care for Prestige. I really thought he should be going. So simplifying, going back, creating a new expansion for the base game, um, that took the game in a different direction or even a wildly different direction um, rather than um, something that added more to the the space and, and i mean one of the other suggestions i made was actually design something that you play with the first two expansions but without the base game even um, and it it just it added it added things that didn't add to the game and in fact subtracted from the game for me. Um, one of the things I really like with uh, alien artifacts, the, the next expansion coming out is that it is not designed to work with the first second or third expansion. It, it works with the base game and only the base game and takes it in a different direction. As a practical matter, the way that I deal with this, I, so I have I have three copies of, of race set up to play. I have a base game. I have a base game with the first expansion, and I have a Joe's Select um, with the so all the cards from the second expansion. But then I took out um, a large number of cards to cut down uh, the the size of the deck to the point that it was in line with in line with the base game. It's, it's a few more than that, uh, but then all the homeworlds so that you get the the choice of homeworld um I don't honestly recall the last time that I played with more than one expansion. in fact um, uh, frequently I, I game at a friend on uh, Monday nights and his copy of the game has the expansions uh, built into the deck and so um, when I play I usually request that we play uh, the French edition where he only has the first expansion built into the deck uh, and and um, the fact that it's in French doesn't matter because, hey, it's icons. Um, and so um, I've probably played the French edition of Race for the Galaxy about as much as I've played the English edition of Race for the Galaxy in the past couple of years.
0: Now, that's kind of interesting. I'd like to pick up on a, a little bit of what you said there, uh, Joe, which is this idea of Joe's deck. And uh, I wonder if you know it sounds like there's almost a little bit of a, a a possibility there that i hadn't considered before of a little bit of almost deck building where you're kind of going through and you're you're sort of picking and choosing uh, almost like you do with dominion where you pick a set of cards that you're going to use for that particular game have you ever approached it from a sort of deck building mindset of you know i'm going to uh, you know, because I, I totally get your point about trying to cut down on the size of the deck. And I, I also get Eric's point, which is, you know, the extra cards are nice because it gives you different paths that you can take. But as he admitted himself, it also makes it more difficult to find them because of this huge amount of cards that are in the deck. So it's kind of intriguing to me, this notion of, you know, you kind of went through and cherry-picked out the cards that, you know, worked for you or that, you know, somehow spoke to you or whatever as, as, as being interesting cards. Have you ever approached it from that angle as, as almost like a deck-building kind of a,
1: a thing?
2: So one of the things that you have to understand is that I have very, very little experience with deck-building. I've played Magic the Gathering twice with a friend's deck. I've never built a a magic deck.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I've played Dominion about eight times or so. Um, I played Thunderstone once, you know, other games maybe once. Um, And so I don't, I never really thought of it from as as deck building so much as, um, so the first thing I did is I got rid of all the things that had to do with takeovers because, well, we're not, you know, I'm not designing something, to, to play with takeovers and so okay we can toss those up mm-hmm. and then it was just a matter of going through and saying well I'll, I'll give I'll give an example plague world plague worlds one of the the um, the worlds in the uh, in the base game that I have never ever liked, because it is a zero point a zero victory point world um, I've never really cared for most of the zero victory point uh, cards of, of any variety but but plague world as a special place not in my heart, um, and so you know things like that were obvious candidates, and I just kept weeding things out until the deck was the size I like, and, and it's set. It's I've I've got it, and I've actually got it in a a much smaller box, um, and um, when people don't mind, you know, playing it, you know, I I've had I've had people you know, ask, you know, what's in it. It's like, I have no idea at this point. It's got some of the cards from the base game, uh, most of the cards from the base game, some of the cards from the first expansion, some of the cards from the second expansion, but which one specifically, I couldn't tell you.
1: And I have to say, Jeff, that um, one of the reasons that Joe can do this is... No one would ever suspect Joe of trying to get an advantage for himself by doing this. Um, you know, if, if, if you had a player that was competitive enough that you suspected that he or she was going to design a deck so that he or she could win more than his or her share of the games, you might worry about it. Um, if you ever played much with Joe, you know that's not a problem. Oh absolutely
0: and so, and I wasn't meaning to imply that he was designing the deck for a personal gain but more of a tailoring of the experience um, for the players, because of course everybody's using that deck, so I don't know that there's necessarily any inherent advantage as long as people understand, you know, that, uh, for example, he said, you know, well, we're not playing with takeover rules. And I think, you know, that, that's something that people just do anyway. Um, so I wasn't trying to imply that. I want to make sure. No, I wasn't saying
1: that you were. I was okay. just saying that the Joe's um, view on gaming helps with this. You, you really know that he's trying to make the game. Uh, That he thinks everyone will enjoy. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's based on his opinion, of course, but um, um, but I'm happy to play the game with Joe's deck. And as he says, it's nice because it has options, but you can shuffle it, um, you know, with your hands instead of having to divide it into pieces and have different people shuffle different pieces.
0: So, uh, you know, this is a, a way, I guess the only reason that I wanted to ask about that is, you know, it's it's a way to kind of uh, customize the Race for the Galaxy experience, and, and that might be a good thing, given the fact that, you know, at least it sounds like Joe and I are kind of on the same uh, page that, you know, th- there's much in the expansions that doesn't seem to add a whole lot to the game, but there are some neat pieces in there, and so you know you kind of want to be able to grab those 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 neat pieces and and leave the rest of the stuff you know behind that you feel might be you know extra um so okay base game it sounds like you know Joe you and I agree you know that the base game maybe my memories of that are are kind of uh Correct that. That there's enough there in that base game. There's enough meat there that you probably don't need to mess with the expansions for a while, unless you you know really want to explore them and explore those uh, those possibilities. Now, both of you guys um, were were talking about the player conflict uh, a few minutes ago, and and neither of you seem to care much for the player conflict system, and. Uh, Eric, I think you you sort of made a comment of you know well people told Tom that there should be conflict in a space game, so we put it in there. Uh, what are your feelings on that? Because uh, you know I am one of those people that kind of thinks um, conflict is is something. When I think of these epic space kind of games and epic space uh, classic films that I've watched, and there's usually some kind of conflict. And uh, you know I, I I just kind of uh, have wondered at the clunkiness of that system. And it seems to me, if I don't want to put words in your guys' mouths, that you really don't feel that the, the conflict is necessary in the game. And if you don't think it's necessary, why do you think that?
1: I loved the game when it first came out and it didn't have conflict. Um, you know, so it's, it's a question of theme, and theme is in some ways in the eye of the beholder. I feel like I get my feeling of the theme when I lay down military powers or when I lay down worlds that can produce goods. Um, Typically in a game, different players will have different strategies. So if Joe is using military and I'm doing produce-consume, that's enough theme for me. And I don't need to add an additional component, especially if I feel that that additional component is slowing the game down or gumming it up. and That's what it seems like it does to me. Other people perhaps don't feel the theme um, in the base game, and maybe adding the takeover rules gives them a feeling of the theme. And if so, that may be important. But it just doesn't matter to me.
2: So the, as I said, the the second expansion was was designed hand in hand with the original game, um, and in fact, the base game was was created by Tom as a. Um, to to create a a subset something that something that could, people could start with a a little more easily um and uh, so it it's not something that was was simply added on after the fact or anything okay but the um one of the problems i mean one of the complaints that the, that people had about race for the galaxy when it came out was uh that there was not direct conflict um and not, was not direct interaction. In fact, um, because all of the interaction is through what roles you choose, what roles your opponents choose, and is of an indirect nature. Um, for some people, myself included, Eric included, that that's that's sufficient. That's that's entertaining, and um, there doesn't have to be um, some direct um, interaction between. Uh, the players, in order to to be an enjoyable game, for some people that definitely is not uh, the case, and and they complained about it, and and one of the things that the takeovers do is add a direct uh, interaction that just wasn't um, just wasn't uh, there without it. Um, on the other hand. Um, I think it's one of, those, one of those things that there are definitely people who enjoy the takeovers, but the fact that you can avoid the takeovers by playing a non-military strategy, um, I think um, there, there are a number of people that, that it didn't go far enough, um, where the, um, the fact that there are fairly straightforward ways to avoid uh, conflict, if you wish, um um i think it ends up being a um a step in the right direction from from some people's point of view but but uh not going far enough um for me as i say i'm i i was i've always been perfectly happy with uh without and and in fact have 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 never been a big fan of uh takeovers in uh in any of the forums so
0: yeah, it's interesting because you know you you bring up a really uh, you both bring up two really good points. Uh, the, the first one that that I want to talk about is yours, Joe, which is this notion that um, you know takeovers are possible, but um, it's easy to avoid the player versus player conflict in the game. And this is one of the things that you know um, if I had the opportunity to talk with with Tom Lehman, and I, I would I would love to ask him about that because. I kind of agree with you, Joe. I almost kind of feel like – it almost feels like his heart wasn't in it. Like, you know, he, it, And I understand you're saying it was part of the original design, um, but it's, it is relatively easy to avoid, so therefore it's kind of like, okay, it, there's almost no point to it being there. Um, if you don't have to really actively, if if you can easily make it so you don't have to worry about another player, uh, you know, coming after you, then it's going to quickly become you know, a situation where you have two people who are invested in the idea or or however many people have takeovers and they're going to beat up on each other while the other player sits there and uh, doesn't do that and probably wins the game. And then people learn, ah, well, you know, this really isn't very profitable. I'm, I'm probably not going to do that again.
2: The problem is that you have that to, so while it's easy, it's not necessarily profitable. Um, the way that you Avoid the takeovers is by never developing a military. Right. Um, if you basically you you know getting back to, to uh, um, Eric's analogy, you know you're in the middle of the woods and um, you have intentionally decided that there's this big wall in 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 front of you in some set of directions. Um, that might be a you know, that might be how you want to play the game. And in fact, I will say, uh, when I play with people who want to play with takeovers, that's usually how I want to play the game because I want to simply ignore ignore the section that I'm not so fond of. Right. But it limits what you can do. And so it's it's not that it's a it's not that it's advantageous to choose to ignore that part of the game. It's in fact Disadvantageous to to be ignoring a portion of the game because you are yourself limiting yourself to uh, to a subset of the possible paths.
0: Well, I, I think that there's uh, certainly some truth to that, but at the same time, there are so many different paths in this game, as as you gentlemen have brought up, that I don't feel it's as limiting as it could be in other games that might be similar to this. In other words, I think there's still enough paths open. Um, That, you know, you you can probably, uh, at least in my very limited experience playing with the takeovers, you know, you can sort of avoid it and still be able to develop uh, along a couple of different strategic lines, although I was never very good at that. My wife was much better at that than I was. Um I also want to circle back to what you said, Eric, which I found was a really interesting comment, which is you said that you felt that the player versus player conflict, one of the reasons that you know you didn't particularly feel very fond of it, was that um, when you start in uh, using that when you start. Um, thinking about player that it can maybe make the game drag a little bit have you found that to be true in your plays and, and is you know because one of the allures of race at least for me was always how quickly it played
1: well maybe um if people play it a lot they get used to it but i find that um when you're in any situation where conflict is imminent you gotta watch very carefully uh, to see what the other person is doing um You know, certainly to play race well, you always need to be watching the other players. But it seems that when you're playing the takeover game, you have to be a lot more careful, a lot more circumspect about what you're doing. Um, Perhaps if I played many, many games with that option, I would get better at it. But at least for me, at my level of experience with it, it seemed to require a lot more um, watching.
0: All right. Excellent. Um, that, that's something that, uh, you know, I think you, you could, again, once again, be very right about, which is maybe it is just an experience thing, but, uh, it it does seem to add time to the game. And maybe that time is, you know, just in now becoming overly cautious, you know, whereas before, uh, you know, you guys were talking about, uh, you know, not uh, uh, obsessing too much over your cards and now maybe, you know, you're having to look more closely at not only what the other players are doing, but what options you can, you know, come up with in your hand and your tableau to maybe protect yourself. So um, that that's a really excellent point as well. So... It sounds to me as though you know there's not much about this game that you guys don't like. You you like the uh, you know the, the only negative that I've heard is you know when you add in all the expansions, you actually get a a ergonomic problem, which is you get this massive deck that you cannot shuffle, and um, God forbid you put sleeves on them because then it just becomes sort of this leaning
1: tower of cards that cascades everywhere. Um, yeah, Joe and I don't use sleeves I have to say that um, I hear people complain about the cost of the game and I have to laugh because I think I've bought at least five copies of it right you know I have one copy of the base game that I use by itself and then I have another one that has the first expansion built in and another one of the first two expansions built in and uh, my intention is if I wear one I'll just buy another copy uh, because I've played it 500 times I've gotten my money's worth out of it many times over. Um, uh, I I see people with complicated deck shuffling algorithms where you divide the deck into five parts and one player shuffles two parts and the, the other player shuffles two parts and you leave one part in the middle and you swap in and out Just the fact that people have developed those systems kind of tells you that there's too many cards in the deck for ergonomic reasons. (laughs) It's a bit of a
0: problem, right? Um, So, you know, I got to ask you the question, guys. I always ask the question: If is there anything about the game that you would like to change? Is there anything that you don't like? Because so far, it sounds like you guys are thumbs up all the way on Race for the Galaxy.
2: Uh, Overall, I mean the 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 changes. The things that I would change are the thing, same things I told Tom at the time. Uh, I would not. I, 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 for me, the third expansion. The third expansion does things that don't do anything for me. Um, but it's something that, that that Tom wanted to do. And talking to him about some of the reasons, I understand why he wanted to do them. It just it wasn't it wasn't the right thing for for to to make it more enjoyable to me. Um, on the other hand um, with uh, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it then the new expansion alien alien artifacts it's I think that takes things back in a direction that's that's much more in line with my preferences and so I've got nothing to complain about
1: yeah, I think that you have options with this game you can play the base game you can play the base game with a subset of the expansions or with all the expansions you can play with the goals I don't mind playing with the goals you can play with takeovers not too interested in doing that myself but you can do that so in some ways you'd have not just a game but you have a, an array of options and I'm certainly thrilled with a number of those options
0: so on the you know this game scores high on uh, variability and variety the game scores very high on uh, replayability, probably because of, of those factors, uh, the game rewards uh, repeated play, and that an experienced player will usually do better. Um, and, and I've found that to be true. So, do you think that these are all the reasons why Race for the Galaxy, you know, a game that came out in 2007, that's not uh, a tremendously long time ago, but do you think it's it's the reason why the game has been able to withstand? This much repeated play. I mean, you know, to hear you say you've played it a thousand times is kind of you know mind blowing, and it also fills me with a a certain amount of of jealousy because you know I I don't know where you work, but I wish I worked there. Apparently, (laughs) because I don't get to sit and play Race for the Galaxy at lunch. If I tried to introduce that, um, I don't know if that would go over well. So, uh, I I, you know I I I wish that. i had the experience that you had with that and and i gotta be honest you know talking with you guys has certainly rekindled my interest in it and i've been toying with the idea of trying to pick up the the base set again and uh, uh i i think i probably will uh as much as i'm gonna get the fisheye from my wife on that one because she hates it when i trade a game away or get rid of a game and then reacquire it she kind of looks at me like didn't we have this once and haven't you now? You know, uh, she's not a big fan of that, but uh, she likes the game enough that I think she'll she'll let it slide. So, do you think that these are the reasons why this game has had such amazing longevity?
1: For me, they are. My wife, by the way, is a less gaming person than I am. Although she certainly enjoys playing games, mm-hmm. and she enjoys this game. We play it two players sometimes. Um, I have to say, Jeff, that in a couple with a more gaming spouse and a less gaming spouse, when you find a game that the less gaming spouse wins, uh, there's some advantage to that, too. Oh, yeah. yeah Maybe absolutely. your wife <laughs> wins most of your games, but uh, <laughs> I love it when I can play a game with my wife and she can pretty much hold her own. That That's a plus for me. Oh, absolutely. And in many ways,
0: she's a she's a uh, better gamer than I am and that she is uh, uh, much more adept at quickly picking up the less obvious portions or parts of the general strategies of games than I am, uh, probably because she just has a much more analytical mind. Uh, I, I tend to be a bit more of a global thinker, as uh, you know. I'm sure would not be a shock to most people who uh, know me, and the fact that I can kind of just kind of go off on tangents from here to there and everywhere. You guys have lived through that yourselves now twice. Um, she, she's a much more disciplined mind, and uh, she certainly more than holds her own in a lot of games that we play, but, uh, you know, that there are definitely those preferences, you know, that you spoke of that every gamer has, um, You know, and and at the end of the day, um, you know, you you really can't deny the success of the game. And I'm looking forward to maybe kind of dipping my toe back in there and seeing where this alien artifacts goes. Because I know I just was complaining about expansions. But, uh, you know, Joe, you've kind of got me intrigued. It sounds like you have a little bit of inside info on this expansion. And uh, you seem to be looking forward to it. So that leads me to believe that it may be the best of all worlds. Um, you know, they, they mentioned something in this expansion about this orb. Um, is is there anything that, you know, you know that you feel that you could share about how this new expansion works? Or uh, is that something that uh, is on a need-to-know basis and uh, I am not on a need-to-know?
2: Uh, that particular piece, I... I... If I did know, I couldn't tell you, but I'm I'm not familiar with that particular piece of the design. So. That,
0: okay. All right. Okay. Well, I was just doing a little fishing there. You can't blame me for throwing the line in and seeing if I could uh, maybe get a little uh, a little uh, tidbit there of uh, some some information. But uh, well, guys, like I like
1: Joe, like Joe Jeff. I've played maybe six games of Alien Artifacts, and uh, I have not played with anything having to do with the orb. I've played with the cards right Um, one of the cool things about this game is you can play with just the cards so Mm -hmm. you can play brink of war and just treat the cards as cards and forget about the prestige if you want Um, some of the cards are less useful but you know you gotta discard cards to pay for things anyway and so what i've done is i've played alien artifacts with the cards just as cards Um, i'm going to obtain a copy of it as soon as i possibly can when it becomes available
0: yeah the the orb i'm talking about is is basically from this uh i'm looking at it from the board game geek entry where it talks about there's 45 new cards uh to add to the base uh, game and then a a set of cards for a fifth player which uh, i think is great especially since i have a family of five but then it says 45 cards and alien tokens used to represent the alien orb which players jointly map and explore and and that that kind of really intrigued me, um, this this notion of, you know, you're, you're now having to kind of balance, as it says in the blurb here, balance how much of your effort you're going to put into exploring this orb. Um, you know, it almost brings to mind like a Dyson sphere kind of idea or something versus developing your own tableau in front of you. And I, I think that would be an interesting kind of tension in the game where how much do I want to do for myself versus how much do I want to do on this sort of joint expedition almost a cooperative, in some ways, feel. Uh, and, and I'm assuming there's all sorts of benefits to exploring this orb in and, and the form of victory points and, and perhaps other uh, game effects. But you guys haven't tried that yet, so uh, I think we're all going to be maybe curious to see how that plays out. Uh, because, as you said, Joe, the thing that intrigued me about it so much was it sounds very different from what has come before.
2: Right. No, it's, it's definitely... Is definitely a unique storyline for the game, and, and um, you know, I haven't. So, I've I have one copy of the second expansion for for building my own um, subset. I don't own the third expansion, but I am planning to get uh, alien artifacts when it's out. So.
1: Joe, Joe told you that he believes expansions are evil, yes. and then he told you that he's going to buy this. One. So you know, that's quite a, an endorsement from
0: Joe. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, and I said the same thing too. I don't know; it's so hard sometimes not to get caught up in in uh, uh, some some things that are new, especially when it's it's uh, for you guys in particular. You know, uh, I I've kind of had an on again, off again relationship with race for the reasons that I've discussed. But you know, for you guys, I would imagine you know it's 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 such an old friend that it would be hard to say no uh, to something new that that comes down the pike. And, uh, you know, when, when you, you, you meet the new expansion, there may be pieces that you, uh, you know, might wish, uh, you know, weren't there uh, or that you, you know, might not want. But there's, you know, usually some gems in there that you want to pick out as as Joe did and as he described and sort of pulling out the cards that he liked. So, well, gentlemen, I want to thank you uh, uh, once again for agreeing to be on the show and for talking with me tonight about this game. You've certainly taught me a lot about it in some different kinds of ways and mindsets uh, um, you know, that, that perhaps I should use when approaching the game. And I, I definitely appreciate your advice for teaching the game and advice for new players. Um, You know, that was something I found incredibly valuable when you were talking about the 18xx games, and uh, I think you've accomplished the same thing here, and I appreciate you sharing those strategies and ideas. Um, because if it's something that will you know, get more people into playing the game and enjoying it, you know, clearly, based on our discussion, it's a game that you can keep in your collection for a long time and get uh, years of enjoyment out of it. So I may have to pick this one up again. So thank you very much, guys, for uh, uh, joining, and uh, I appreciate you coming on.
1: Uh, you're most welcome, Jeff. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So, for Eric Brocious
0: and Joe Huber and myself, um, thank you for listening to The Long View, and uh, please post any questions or comments that you may have about the episode uh, at uh, www.2d6.org, where the episode is uh, posted and generously hosted. Uh, You can also, of course, uh, leave any sorts of comments or questions on the Board Game Geek Guild page for The Long View. Uh, Also, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my sponsor, game gamesurplus.com thor would be happy to track down a copy of race for the galaxy for you and will be i am sure uh, getting the new alien artifacts expansion as soon as that comes out so uh, go to gamesurplus.com for your gaming needs and be sure to mention the long view if you order so for joe huber eric brocious and myself thank you for listening and good night